correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast does in-depth reviews of the books covering everything from first edition to the newest story path edition of the books published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Abert, Adventure, and more. I am one of your hosts, Scott Cuban. I run Stimulacra Studios, an actual play studio, and I am the co-host of RPG discussion podcast, Polyhedron. I'm Chaz Kellner, uh, host of many podcasts, it seems. Opcast is a proud member of the D20 Radio Network. This week, our shout-out goes to Court Games. On their show, they cover Legend of the Five Rings, including all new releases for the fifth edition of the RPG, along with discussions about their community impact, speculation about future releases, and recommendations to improve your L5R experience. They also produce Fortune Strife, a teaching-focused AP that blends audio drama and the rules to show you how the game works at the table. Go check them out. That sounds really cool. I, I, I have appreciated Legend of the Five Rings from afar for a while. I like the idea of it. I've never actually gotten my hands on it. So that might be an interesting thing to check out. I Yeah, I was uh, an L5R fan um, back in the day of my yeah. early role-playing experience um, during the third and fourth editions of L5R. Mm. Uh, played, played a bunch of it, ran a bunch of it. Um, I haven't really gotten my hands on to the, the new edition published by FFG that Court Games talks mm-hmm. about. Um, I've listened to a couple of their episodes and, and they have a they run a good podcast. Yeah. Um, so if L5R is of interest to you, uh, Court Games is a great place to start. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally a fan of anything that John Wick has touched. Uh, I, I like his stuff and he was involved in that back in the day. Uh, but... That's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Aeon. Indeed we are. What is our topic for today? Well, we are finishing up our review and discussion of Trinity Continuum Aeon, the new story path edition of uh, this uh, seminal sci-fi, space opera, multi-genre, psychic super soldiers game. Uh, And we are focusing today on the last chapter in the book, chapter 11, The Setting Secrets. This episode is going to be full of spoilers. Uh, we separated this content from the rest of our overview of the book. Yes. Uh, because for those of you who don't want to be spoiled on the, the setting secrets and potential campaigns uh, that the setting secrets suggest, uh, you could leave this episode alone. We won't, yep. we won't be offended by any means. That, that's why we're separating it out. Uh, but if you do want to dive into the secrets with us, uh, welcome. Absolutely. Uh, So we start off with the secret history of humanity. Uh, We get the iconic Aeon Society photo, probably in the best resolution that we've ever gotten it, I think. Uh, You know, the the, the members of the Aeon Society, we've got Max, we got got Michael Donegal in the background there with his his dorky looking sunglasses uh, and and various other uh, badasses of the 1920s. Uh, and we get a very brief rundown of that 
era of humanity that uh, had active users of inspiration, noetic energy, and quantum energy uh, at a low level that then moves on through the aberrant era and into the current era of Aeon. Uh, it is as brass tacks and no, no BS run, uh, rundown as you can ask for. Uh, this, sec- this whole chapter is very short. It's only like, what, like 20-ish pages. Something uh, like that. But it goes over past, present, and future. Uh, and and any, everything that you might want to know about the secret underpinnings, they cram into this section really, really well. Um, Question about how this was presented in past editions. I know a, a big part of the original run of uh, Trinity was telling the story backwards. Yes. How much of this secret history was revealed in the original Aeon? Um, not much. Okay. Um, uh, they, you pretty much got the same information about the original adventure and aberrant, although even less so than aberrant, that you got in the beginning of this book in the sort of the history rundown. It was a very similar information. I mean, obviously, you know, a, the, the first edition Aeon, it was a book that was thrown together in nine months. Right. Uh, and, you know, so they didn't, they had to establish this stuff as they went along. This edition has the, the benefit of, of hindsight and all of that history having already been gone through a, a big first edition. Now they get to consolidate. They get to get their timeline straight. They get to get everything squared away so they can present it to us in this kind of chapter. Um, so you got this in bits and pieces. Uh, they did a very good job when they did when they released the second printing of the Aeon book uh, as a paperback book. They had something called the story so far, uh, which was very similar to this chapter, actually. Um, not as much detail, but uh, and did not and it did not have the last section, which was kind of the projection of, of forward into the future. But it did sum up the meta plot because this was in the era of White Wolf when meta plot was big in all of their games. Uh, and they basically presented the meta plot that had been built up from the release of the Aeon book through the order books to the adventure books, uh, through all of the various Aeon releases where they were building bit by bit the meta plot of Aeon and then building the, met- the backwards meta plot of Aberrant and then adventure. Right. Uh, so by that time, they had a pretty good idea of what they were working with and presented it in a very concise manner. Um, but yeah, so. Um, some interesting things that I like to, to point out in this, the secret history of humanity, uh, is they mentioned, I believe they've mentioned two times that even though the Hammersmith event, uh, and events like it are sort of the big events that produce wide scale releases of energy that imbue people with, you know, large amounts of people with powers and abilities, they do mention, uh, smaller events they localized experiments or accidents caused by visiting aliens they mentioned that a couple of times and i th- i think either they knew that they were going to do something like aether or they were leaving themselves room to do something like aether with that kind of verbiage in there of like yeah there's stuff that happened before the hammersmith event and we're gonna we're gonna hand wavy them a little bit it but then they they opened the door for themselves to say yeah weird shit happened before the hammersmith event I like that because it, like, like you said, it leaves the room open to do Aether, which is now on the product list. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one that I've heard Ian mention is Aegis, doing mm-hmm. like an ancient world inspired yeah. 
Um, and that would be that would be a lot of fun. I would be um, I would be down for that. Some sword and sandals with the uh, you know sci-fi quantum powers and, st- and the like. Yep. Uh, this is also where we get the big reveal of, of the identity of SK Baranu. Uh, you know, Sarah Kaur, uh was not just uh, one of the proxies. She was, in fact, uh, someone from the 1920s who was at the Hammersmith event. Uh, that, that blew my mind when I first read it, when the manuscript dropped of like, oh, they're playing with that. that that's how they're kind of fleshing that out and, and weaving more stuff in. That was very cool to read. Is that a change to past editions? Yes, it is a change from past editions. Eskiveranu uh, was all we knew about her was that she was one of the proxies. We knew less okay. about her than we knew any of the other proxies because in that edition she was well and truly dead. Okay, and and the quantum kinetics never got their their yeah. uh, moment in the sun. They did not. They got a very very little bit of explanation uh, by the time the Trinity's Player Guide came out because you got their level one dot abilities as a part of a new psi system that they released, a freeform psi system. And they basically said, yeah, some people can have quantum kinetic uh, auxiliary modes and here's what they do. Uh, but that was all we ever got of quantum kinesis. Oh, wow. Um, there was a really good fan book that, um, that detailed out uh, more of that and the quantum kinetic order as well as the, the Baharti Commonwealth. So the other thing that gets revealed in the secret history is um, aliens called the Doyen. What's yes. their deal? So the Doyen are, uh, along with the aberrants, uh, led by the colony, which they talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, the Doyen are a powerful ancient psychic race that uh, are essentially the bad guys. They are one of the bigger overarching antagonists and villains of the Aeon era. Uh, they are psychic, psionic in nature. Uh, they are they failed a they are the result of a failed transcendent attempt, uh, and they are paranoid and conspiratorial, uh, and they do not want any other races to rise up to their level of advancement or technology, and so they will either control and restrain other races that have potential or outright destroy them if they believe them to be too big of a threat. And there's a bit of a a conflict amongst them about what to do about humanity. So some of them are all about controlling us. Some of them want to wipe us out. Um, And therein lies our opportunity to maybe get out from under their thumbs. Yeah, we do get revealed that. Uh, We get revealed that the proxies, rather than having developed the Prometheus Chamber technology and psychic enhancement themselves, were given this technology, had psychic surgery performed on them by the Doyen. Um, They were lied to in order to convince them to do this. They were told that, oh, the Doyen are, we are grand protectors of the galaxy. We're dealing with other stuff around the galaxy that that we don't have time to help you fight the aberrants. We're going to empower you to fight the aberrants and constrain your genetics so that you don't get too powerful, uh, as well as leave in psychic backdoors to let us possess you when we want to. Um, you know, things that they don't exactly tell us. So yeah, this, they are definitely the villains uh, behind a lot of the stuff that is happening. Um, what are your thoughts on the Doyen jazz? I think it's a really cool, slow reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like grand campaigns that kind of slowly reveal the mm-hmm. hidden manipulators behind things. And it seems like Trinity is set up to do that kind mm-hmm. of perfectly um 
especially in the Aeon era, uh, mm-hmm. where the Psy powers kind of give you that chance to catch the Doyen out. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we get further into the chapter, it seems like that's exactly what the intention is. Absolutely. Um, and, and the Doyen have been messing us from for far longer. I mean, as soon as the, the Hammersmith event happened, they put an energy barrier around the planet uh, because that freaked them out. Uh, and it was only through the ingenious uh, uh, quantum mechanics of Dr. Uh, Dr. Primoris or Michael Donegal or Divis Maul, whatever you want to call him, that, er- uh, that energy barrier was broken. Um, which is, you know, the secret behind what happened in uh, on End Day, but we'll talk about that more on, on our Aberrant podcast. Uh, but yeah, so they've been messing with us for a while because they're very, very afraid of us. So uh, one of the other cool things we get here is, is not just this um, story about the Doyen, but we actually get an antagonist profile for them. Yeah, too. yeah, we get a we get a little little uh, little stat block for one of their basically lower level a bit lowered members, uh, which is very cool. They're very powerful uh, for being as low level as they are, quote unquote. And we also get a lot more information about the Doyen in Under Alien Skies, which I. When I first got that book, that is exactly where I went to first. I'm like, got to know everything about these assholes. Yeah, I, I can't wait to, to get to that book and, yeah. and uh, kind of get all that story. Yeah, it's very uh, cool. And, and one thing I'll, I'll mention, you talked about there being a slow reveal. We get a lot here in this book, but I, I just want to, to think back to my time of reading first edition when that slow reveal was through minor tidbits in book after book after book. Like we, we, the readers didn't know everything or anything about the Doyen when the first book came out, they weren't in the first book. We had to piece it together as they released the books, which was very cool and very fun. And it's very cool to see the other side of that when we get a very concrete view of them here. That's really cool. So the Doyen are not just interested in humanity. There's also bits here about their connection with the chromatics and the chin. Yes. Um, so what's, what's the deal there? So, like I said, there's kind of a, a, a split between the Doyen. Uh, you know, some of them are very aggressive. Some of them are more manipulative. Uh, with the Chromatics, the aggressive faction has sort of latched onto the Chromatics and has used the fact that the Chromatics were attacked by aberrants in the past as a way of controlling them and marshalling them, giving them technology uh, that they've stolen uh, or appropriated. Uh, it's kind of a weird, weird loop because they gave us biotechnological templates that were then used, that were then developed by us and then stolen by the Doyen to give the chromatics, as well as kidnap teleporters uh, in order to use their chromatics as foot soldiers in a war against humanity. So you've got that faction controlling, manipulating, and using the chromatics, uh, enhancing them as essentially a warrior race, uh, then you have the faction that's more about controlling and manipulating and uh, locking races into stasis uh, that have uh, gotten their hands on the chin. Uh, and they have arrested their development for quite some time. Uh, they, they, we get revealed that the chin have been uh, kind of a slave race of the Doyen, although it's not overtly uh, but they've been been controlled and manipulated by the Doyen for many, many thousands of years and have had their own psychic development arrested by the Doyen. Uh, and they are used in a more subtle means of control. 
So the two biggest aliens that we know about, the two that, li- that use psychic powers as we do, uh, are both under the heels of different factions of the Doyen, which really lets you sort of, you know, like I said, they're a big bad. They're a very sure. big bad, and they, they are, they're, they are, they're, they're almost under every rock we want to pull up in one way or another. Uh, you'll, you can find evidence of them, which, is going, which I would believe would be a great basis for a campaign of like hunting these guys down, piecing the mystery together, getting your conspiracy board up. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, finding eventually having the big reveal of like, oh, they're protoplasmic psychic snotballs. OK, get well, up. the other the other piece that we kind of get a review or a hint at in the around the galaxy chapter is mm-hmm. the dead civilizations yes, out there. Yes. And it's like, yep, the Diane killed those guys. Yep. They've been they're doing this of, for millions of years. They're kind of a bunch of jerks. They are really bad. Uh, like they, they are just they're, they're no good. And I, re- I love the the like. They're kind of, in, they're very inspired by the Vorlons um, from Babylon 5. Like I get yeah. a lot of that vibe, even though they're, they're much worse than the Vol- Vorlons are. Uh, they're, they're kind of a combination of like the way the, the shadows work and the way the Vorlons work, but, but physically they're much more like Vorlons. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Babylon 5 is so good. And such it's good so good. inspiration for this. Yeah, it's so much is. And I love it. I love Babylon 5. The next bit we get is about the coalition. Uh, yes. What's their deal? So the coalition are not under the thumb of the Doyen, uh, but still giant a-holes. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they were a psionic race long, long time ago that kind of escaped the attention of the Doyen. Uh, a good portion of, of their population actually did ascend uh, to a psionic uh, super being status, but a portion of them were very reactionary and did not want to go in that direction. So they used genetic engineering to cut themselves off from their psychic abilities and get in six giant space arcs and flee their their home systems. Uh, And they have gone very, very xenophobic and tyrannical. Uh, They see other races as essentially genetic fodder to improve themselves uh, in every way except the one that they're terrified of, uh, which is right. psionic de- development. Um, and, you know, they will hollow out any, either they will either destroy or hollow out any psionic race and incorporate them into their collective of slave races. Um, and we get the big reveal that they have recently uh, encountered a weak aberrant. And thus have become aware of both humanity and quantum abilities, which they're very intrigued by quantum abilities because they're very powerful. They're antithetical to psionic abilities. So they, they have gotten, you know, they've gotten the scent of something that they think is going to be very, very good for them. And that is sort of the reveal of their agenda of they're going, they are coming to earth in order to harvest what they believe to be uh, a new source of power for themselves. I, well, that can't possibly go wrong. That can't possibly go wrong. Um, uh, the, the kind of final part uh, of this section is the destiny of intelligence in the galaxy in the Trinity Continuum universe. Mm-hmm. This is where they, they sort of reveal the overall pattern of intelligent life that in the Trinity Continuum, uh, most races 
will either destroy themselves before reaching a point of developing any kind of powers, will destroy themselves close soon thereafter of developing powers because they get out of control. This is especially true of quantum races because quantum powers are incredibly powerful but incredibly volatile. Uh, and roughly around 10,000 years after every uh, civilization that develops powers and goes into space, about 10,000 years is about the, t- the, the time limit for when they advance beyond the physical reality. Uh, so that is a, the general pattern of what intelligences in this universe have followed, either destruction by themselves, destruction from other races like the Doyen. Uh, and they even, they even hint that there are older races that went around killing developing races before. You know, our, our universe is very old. Uh, the, this is only a fragment of time that we're talking about here, even when considering the Doyen. Um, or they ascend. Um, there's been no race that has lived longer uh, after getting out into space than around 10,000 years. Uh, So that explains why the galaxy is not teeming with intelligent civilizations. There's only a handful of them at any given time. It it is Trinity's answer to the Fermi paradox. Yes, yes, I was about to mention that. Uh, So, I mean, and it's, it's a way of constraining the universe to something that's manageable, uh, you know, so that you don't have the, the, the gigantic book of galactic civilizations, um, although there are books later that talk about aliens and how to develop your own alien civilization so that you can make it as teeming as you want to. Uh, but, uh, you know, base can't continuity, intelligent life is scarce. And there's only a handful of intelligent races at various levels of development that humanity can interact with. Uh, and it, then it goes on to talk about noetic versus quantum destinies, where it sort of goes into the, the nitty gritty of, you know, the two main branches of where powered species can go, um, you know, either developing through psychic abilities uh, or developing through quantum abilities. Psychic abilities tend to be a bit more harmonious. They tend to lead towards a, you know, one mind super civilization that ascends beyond uh, um, physical reality. That seems to be the track that psionic uh, species go on. And quantum quantums, uh, races are very volatile because they are very likely to blow themselves up. Uh, their ascension is much more individualistic. It's rare that they, they have a collective ascension. And then they also talk about inspired uh, destiny, the ability to uh, manipulate uh, you know, multidimensional flux like talents do. Um, and those are very rare and very strange. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they have the propensity to develop in very strange, but very idiosyncratic ways. Right. And so that, that makes humanity on the path of all three, mm-hmm. uh, an extreme rarity. Yeah. Um, yeah it, which, which is fine in a role-playing game mm-hmm. because that's who we're playing and the player character should be special. That's exactly right. They talk about the, the potential for humanity to, you know, unify their various, uh, you know, paths of evolution uh, and maybe come create something entirely new that might break the cycle of, of uh, you know, transcendence uh, and might build something of lasting value. Um, but yeah, so then we kind of drill down into the fate of humanity, uh, which this is... Section, this section told a bunch of different stories uh, and it, it felt to me, and, and you'll probably be able to answer this question, that each of these was a campaign book that was published in the previous edition? Mm, mm, somewhat, somewhat. Okay. Um, 
the uh, the invasion of Chrome Pine uh, and the Coalition Arc. Uh, those two were part of the Alien Encounters um, series of, of adventure books. Okay. Um, uh, so yes, those two were absolutely uh, campaign books. Uh, the the second aberrant war never got detailed out, uh, as well as the the sort of the the big. Um, the ending of what we have here in the coalition arc, we do not have the actual, it never got established the actual invasion of earth okay. uh, or, or of the soul system in that, but we got the first part about it, about the rescue of the, the, the jump ship that had been disabled. So then let's uh, kind of talk through yeah. each of these stories. It presents these as, as things that will happen if the player characters don't get involved, Yep, which I think is a great way to do future stories in a role playing mm-hmm. game. Because it says, hey, storytellers, here's a story hook. Here's how it's going to develop. Mm-hmm. You can onboard your player characters to this story at mm-hmm. any point along the way. And that's yeah, fine. Absolutely. And also, if you want to build a bigger, like a, if you want to build a bigger thing uh, of, you know, you can have the rest of the world spinning around in the background and have a very good idea of what's happening while your player characters focus on this one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, or you can jump around and, you know, be the be the troubleshooters of all of them and cause maybe not as maybe not as transformative a difference in each and every area, but put your mark on and put your spin on things in every one of these these possibilities. Uh, but, yeah, we have the invasion of Chrome Prime, uh, which all of this reads like the setting Bible of a Netflix show that I want to watch. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, like I the, I, I know there's a trend towards uh, RPGs getting getting TV shows right mm-hmm. now, um, and I, I dearly hope that there's enough success in the early outings that more settings get picked up um, for syndication. I, I agree. I would love to see anything Trinity Continuum picked up in any sort of like streaming or or any kind of show. Uh, that would be my dearest wish to see that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we have the invasion of Chrome Prime, which details out, you know, the, the big space battle uh, and then the, the more protracted ground battle, uh, which leads to essentially a civil war between the Doyen who wake up and realize that they're being manipulated and the Doyen who stay loyal to the Doyen. Uh, and that sort of opens the door to humanity having a new ally. Uh, you mean uh, the the chromatics? The chromatics. Oh, I'm sorry. The manipulation yeah. um, and the chromatics who stay loyal to the diet. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I said the wrong thing. Um, but yeah, the the chromatics. Um, yeah, so you know we have a we potentially have a new ally, uh, both in the fight against the aberrants and against the Doyen. Uh, it's a very very cool thing. And yeah, this absolutely was a a module that was produced in the old White Wolf days, and it was fun. Awesome. I actually I did actually run this one. Cool. Uh, next, we have the Coalition Arc, uh, which we we described a lot about what's going on there uh, when we talked about them. But you know, it, it is you know, it starts off with a rescue mission uh, to rescue the people who were captured in the last encounter. Uh, then it it rolls into the discovery of the fact that there is brewing dissent amongst the coalition. Uh, that a small faction of their slave races have started to question the rules uh, of the progenitors, which are the the master race of the coalition. Uh, And they're doing so because of a very strange quirk of once they started experimenting with quantum abilities, that inspired a small percentage of them to become talents. 
uh, and thus break free of their progenitor's control. Uh, so it basically builds a situation where you've got this very, like, because the coalition are presented, they are an overwhelming threat. This one arc is more than capable of rolling through humanity and, and, and destroying it, but they have an Achilles heel in this rebel faction, which is humanity's in for actually being able to deal with them. Call. Yeah, uh, very cool. It definitely it lies out a really cool like scenario that you can insert your players into anywhere. Uh, and, and so and, you said part of this was presented in the campaign book yes, in the past. Part, part, part of, of it has the, not been. Yeah, the first part of this was presented in a campaign book. Okay. Uh, basically, the 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 rescuing of the, I don't think the I, I can't recall if the, the the introduction of the rebel element was in the first edition or not. I don't think that they had come. That, I don't think that was a thing. Um, but I love that it's there. Yeah. Uh, because it opens the door to, you know, dealing with, with non-controlled coalition people. One of the things that I really like about a lot of these stories is that it, it kind of hinges on being able to turn an enemy into an ally. Yes. And I think that lines up really well with um, Trinity's hopeful core. Mm -hmm. Like, Things are bad, but you can make them better through yep. exceptional action. Yep. Um, and that's what we see here in these stories is the possibility to do that. Yep. Th things are bad. Through sacrifice, you can make them better and build greater unity amongst the galactic civilization. It's, it's almost like, it, like there's some themes here. It's almost like they've got a, a plan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that is a really, really good uh, like ideology and way of doing that. Um, uh, and that comes up, we have the Second Aberrant War, which as they detail it out here, um, it comes uh, less than a week after the coalition issue is resolved. That the, the use of quantum powers um, basically tips off or, or inspires the colony, which they talk a little bit about the colony earlier, and we should probably talk a little bit about him Uh is that the, basically the colony is an aberrant uh, defined as a corrupted Nova, a Nova who has gone completely over to the um, corrupting, in, unstable nature of quantum abilities, who is essentially living cancer, uh, who, unlike the majority of other Nova and aberrant factions, still has uh, a, 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 an obsession about Earth and wants to take it back and wants to despoil and just control and destroy it uh, if he can't have it. Uh, so he is this big time, uh, really, really bad aberrant who has t uh, taken over a lot of lesser, more less powerful, but still corrupted aberrants. He has some allies and it says that he has taken over a, a Nova Age extrasolar colony uh, and infected the entire colony. Uh, with sub-aberrant mutants. So he's a real, real bad guy. Uh, and part of me is a little a little irked that we don't ever actually get any uh, confirmation about who he is, if he, if he was anyone back in the Nova age or earlier, uh, but they have very clearly made the decision to leave the identity of the colony up to individual story guides. Okay. 
Um, I actually, uh, I remember talking with Ian about that. He's like, nope, we're leaving that one as a big question. I'm like, oh, but my, but my fan theory. <laughs> well, and that's one of the cool things is that the continuum nature of the Trinity continuum mm-hmm. means that in your game, your fan theory is canon. Yep. And they, they give you enough evidence to, to justify different fan theories mm-hmm. and they can all be true in different, different branches of the continuum. Uh, by the way, by the way, my fan, fan theory: the hill I will die on uh, is that the colony is the ubiquitous dragon from Adventure. Mm, okay. Um, the final part here is the Doyen conflict. Yes, and this one's a little bit shorter than some of the others. You said this did mm-hmm. not have a campaign like the no. Second Aberrant War. Um, we've talked a lot about the Doyen. What does the Doyen conflict look like um, as part of this overall arc for humanity? Well, basically, um, the fact that humanity is able to beat off the colony and 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 uh, destroy the colony and thwart his attack on Earth space uh, uh, is enough to um, uh, horrify the Doyen. Because as a part of that conflict, the Doyen attempted to possess multiple influential people uh, in order to make that worse. They basically decided, okay, we're cutting our losses here and we're letting the situation resolve itself. Um, and it, it says that as part of the conflict, uh, many teams of scions root out and even destroy some of the Doyen. So the Doyen freak out essentially at this and they pull back from humanity and start waging a guerrilla war against us. Um, this reads to me as more of a lead-in to a setting that comes after Aeon than something that happens uh, as part of like an overall, like uh, as part of an Aeon campaign. I, I think that the end of the Aber- second Aberrant War is, is a very much the capstone of any Aeon era game or campaign, in my opinion. Okay. And this, this reads as a long protracted uh, middle space between the Aeon era and whatever comes after the Aeon era. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, basically, you know, we we ally with both the Chromatics and the Chin to drive them away in a very slow, protracted manner. Uh, and good on us. Those guys, <laughs> screw those guys. Right. And that seems like a conflict that, like the first Aberrant War, I mm-hmm. suspect we'll never, like, get the Doyen conflict yeah, era. Yeah, yeah but I could see getting the era after that in, in yeah. some form. Or, you know, have them have them be a different, like ha- the exposed Doyen would be a, a really good antagonist for an after Aeon setting. Yep, definitely. Like the, a conflict that does not go away for a very long time. And that even after we've, you know, forged our galactic civilization, they're still around because they're very powerful and very cagey and very paranoid and very like their own survival is their highest virtue. Ooh, I could see a, a like a retreat of the Doyen from the mm-hmm. conflict to avoid destruction. Yeah. Like that they, they F off to some distant corner of the galaxy mm-hmm. and then have a, a future era where they have a new cat's paw. Um, yeah that that they are throwing against galactic humanity indeed indeed oh i may have some thoughts regarding that (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah no it it, like i said they're a fantastic villain because they're they are very powerful and they are very cagey um and their villainy is one that's that's so base and cowardly and yet paired with their power it makes them such a great villain to hate 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, our last section here, uh, before we get on to the, uh, the, the write-up of the Chichirabanu, is called the Nihonjin Secrets. Yeah. Uh, Japan was presented very secretively in mm-hmm. the setting layout, and this gives us the, the view into what happened there. Yeah. Um, how, how Japan became um, what it is in the Aeon era. So the big secret is that they kept their novas, uh, a portion of their novas, after the ultimatum. Uh, as part of their isolationism and as part of their um, their dedication to their country of, of Nippon, uh, they had actually started to figure out the differences between a nova that's going to go insane and go become an aberrant and a nova that probably isn't going to or, or is not going to just by the nature of their own either temperament or genetics or the way that their powers are, are aligned. So they were able to figure out who's going to go bad, who's not going to go bad. Um, and they held on, they allowed some Novas to remain in Nippon uh, after the ultimatum hit and they kept them in secret. They isolated their entire civilization, their entire nation uh, in order to keep that secret and used the powers and abilities and intelligence of those Novas to create the archaeology that is Japan is Nippon. Uh, and there's actually a, a little bit in here that they mention. I don't know if they mentioned this in the, um, the main write-up of them, but it does say that um, only a third of uh, Nippon is the archaeology. Mm, okay. So there, so I believe we, we talked about that in an earlier episode about how we, we, we might have preferred there to be more natural uh, place. There is. There's two-thirds of it. Okay, that that works. Yeah, that does work. Fantastic. That does work. Uh, but yeah, so, and then these novas, um, they also created a quantum barrier around the solar system, uh, which was intended to prevent aberrants from coming back. Right. But, uh, and something we didn't discuss earlier about the setting secrets and the, the future of humanity, uh, S.K. Baranu, um, her, her continuing study of uh, psi and quantum abilities led her to uh, set off some devices that cleared away a lot of the plague lands, uh, as well as uh, created psiads and talents and imbued in, in psionic latency in a large uh, section of the populace. Uh, and when she did that, uh, it weakened that barrier. Uh, as well as alerted both the colony and the doyen. Uh, oh, which okay. the, the colony sent a force to uh, to to respond to this weakening of the quantum barrier. Basically, you know, he was always wanting to come back and send his minions our way. Uh, but that, in addition to uh, some other novas who were in the um, solar system, uh, they all died in that attack. But they successfully repelled it. And then the Doyen came around, uh, around the back door and started to, um, you know, it, they approached the proxies and gave them the Prometheus chains. And so we had, we, we, we dealt with one power at great sacrifice, our only remaining force of Novas in the solar system. And then the Doyen came in the back door and started to play in their game. Right. So S.K. Baranu, uh, responsible for a lot. <laughs> For sure. Um, the other thing about the the about Nippon is that they have a testing process where they can identify 
the potential for mm-hmm. becoming Novas. Yes. And at first they just, they stopped it. They, mm-hmm. they um, created a treatment to stop those people from erupting. Mm-hmm. And then later uh, created a procedure to turn them into superiors, yes. uh, which we'll talk about in more detail in a future episode, but it, it's basically mini Novas yep. um, who, who have a, a set of attribute based powers uh, that let them stand above humanity uh, but they're really tied into uh, the, the culture of Nippon. Yeah. And the other final bit about the Nippon secrets is um, the explanation as to why, even though they've opened up their borders, they are very against biotechnology and scions, is that one of their uh, superior scientists figured out that the biotech that the scions have been using has DNA of extraterrestrial origin. So they are, they are basically very afraid that scions are um, uh, the cat's paw of some alien race that is a prelude to control or invasion. And they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and that seems like one of those threads that mm-hmm. could be a fun thread to like discover and pull on yeah. in a campaign that does the slow reveal of the diet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, There's all because- sorts of little threads. Yep, you can you can like get into that conflict uh, with the uh, uh, with Nippon and like end up dealing with with their agents and then mm-hmm. like somehow proving that that the two sides are allied and then and then uh, find out why they're so cagey and then you're like oh we need oh. to look at our, our own proxies here mm-hmm. not yeah. uh, not oh, just yeah. uh, there's like there's this oh it's so good yeah it writes itself it really <laughs> writes itself just just insert PCs yep yep and that's that's I think what's so good about this chapter um, but the final section is the full Chitrabanu write up yep um, the quantikinetic order in the same style as the the other orders tell me about the Chitrabanu so the Chitrabanu uh, as described before were the smallest order. Uh, primarily devoted to research and uh, exploration of the fundamentals of scion, psionic and quantum energies. They are very much a scientific research-based order with uh, some, at least before the purge, a, a little bit of practical applications. You know, occasionally you'd get a quantum kinetic out in the field uh, doing, doing more traditional scion stuff, but their overwhelming for- focus was research and development and advancement of psionic science. But as we understand now that, you know, uh, as we said, S.K. Branu, responsible for a whole lot, um, the Doyen were very paranoid about her and the ability of quantikinesis that she had developed. Uh, It was a new psychic ability that the Doyen themselves did not possess. So while the other proxies got the choice, she did not. Uh, they, they essentially mind controlled her, forced her into the, to a, the psychic surgery to lock her into, um, quantum kinesis so that they could study it. Um, uh, it does note that, uh, it did not curtail, it did not remove any of her previous powers. So before she was a Syad, um, she, she does not lack any of her powers. However, she's incapable of developing further powers. Uh, so yeah, but they basically mind controlled her. Uh, and when they found out that her powers were more dangerous than they thought they were, they set up an entire 
cluster F of paranoia and psychic manipulation uh, and the revealing of some of their most sensitive uh, research regarding aberrants and subaberrant mutations to create the destruction of the order. Very luckily, at the last moment, when the doyen who was possessing her uh, jumped out of her body and, and uh, did a bunk, um, she was able to shield a small percentage of her order and the Prometheus chamber uh, and escape uh, with not the full, full chamber, but a portion of it. Uh, eventually, it turns out that uh, you know some of the proxies, particularly uh, Del Fuego of the Norsa, uh, were suspicious about what happens, as well they should be. Uh, and eventually, they were able to meet in secret, and then through a combination of regrowing the Prometheus Chamber uh, and support from the Norsa and some elements of ISRA and some very secreted parts of the Aeon Trinity, the Order has been slowly rebuilding itself in secret with S.K. Verano at its helm, fully in control of herself. Uh, it's an order that has two big, big goals. One is to the, you know, the rebuilding and redemption of the Chitrabanu and taking revenge on the Doyen. Um, this is your big, these are the people who know about the Doyen. These are the people who are on task for dealing with them. They don't have to pull the threads. They know the enemy that they're dealing with. Uh, so this is, if you want to deal with the Doyen, the Chitrabanu are, a very, very strong resource to pull on from for, for a lever to pull in that direction. And I think there's a couple of neat ways that, that, I mean, there's a ton of neat ways that you could do that. A couple that spring to mind immediately is that in a, a mixed orders group, you could have uh, one of your players say, playing a freelance scion mm -hmm. in scare quotes, who is actually a Chitrabanu member. And when I do this, when I use a player to insert secrets into a campaign, like I kind of have an agreement with the player yeah. that you're going to be a cat's paw. This is going to mm -hmm. be fun for you, but I'm going to be feeding you some of the yeah. insert into the campaign things. Yeah. Um, the another way to do it is like with um, uh, Nippon, you can do the slow reveal mm -hmm. uh, and then the sharing of information um, because I mean, maybe you can even do it through the Nippon course. They can be like, by the way, there's some conspiracy going on with, with the Norsa. We mm -hmm. don't really know what's going on there, but our agents keep getting stymied. Yeah. Maybe that's really the bad guys. And, that, oh. and then you could get, get in there and, and learn about the, uh, yeah. the, the reborn Chitrabanu order. And then again, turn a, a rival into an ally yep. Um, yep. to face the threats of the setting. There's, there's lots of cool, cool ways you can there's do it. So again, Insert PCs, the game mm -hmm. writes itself. Yep, it really does. There are so many good ins that they write in here. Uh, they have a special edge, which is Enhanced Cyclope, uh, which is one of their, their abilities, allows, as we mentioned in the rules chapter, allows them to cloak themselves uh, and, and prevent their discovery of what they are. This is an edge that enhances that and allows them to use their powers through the Cyclope. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, and, Which is very useful if you want to be a secret quantum kinetic. To that, you you also get the society path and, mm -hmm. like Scott said, the edges that represent the Chitrabano. So, awesome chapter. We spent nearly an hour talking about this. Mm -hmm. um, I have some overall thoughts. I'm curious what you think about this approach to setting secrets and um, the kind of the secret underpinnings of what's going on. I think it's great. I loved it. Uh, I think that having all of this laid out in succinct detail is great for a storyteller. 
it it lets it it basically gives you a blueprint. If you want to run a, uh, for lack of a better term, vanilla Aeon game, uh, a game that is all about the the continuity and the meta plot that has been established and re reinterpreted uh, in this new edition, if you want to stick to the book as it were, they give you an amazing blueprint, uh, as well as you know feeding that. Uh, that uh, that that secrets and lore uh, addiction that many of us have as part of being a fan of RPGs, and this just lays it all out in very clear, very very understandable language. Yeah, I think to add to that, I think it's the right approach to meta plot, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm not opposed to meta plot advancing things, but the setting kind of gives you your day zero meta plot. And this gives you a lot of the direction, kind of the arrow of uh, narrative that is going on that will happen if nothing else get in- gets involved. You could take just this story and create a giant multi-year campaign out of it mm-hmm. without, without adding a whole lot more beyond just this core book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's great because it, it, one of the things that Metaplot did for games is tell you what kinds of stories the game expects you to tell on the macro scale. You can always tell the small personal stories. That's kind of easy to, to zoom in and look at how does this game setting affect one person, but what, what are the big things going on that are going to inform that personal experience? And that's something I think Metaplot uh, back in kind of the, the original White Wolf heyday mm-hmm. provided um, but it it had that kind of negative side effect of um, the the plot treadmill or the the big event um, uh, that that kind of blows up a campaign mm-hmm. uh, that I've heard people complaining about yep. how oh this this big thing changes my character and I think doing it this way in kind of a, a storyteller secrets here's what's going on chapter. Mm-hmm step uh the kind of bypasses a lot of the problems that that metaplot got wrapped it up into while still providing the the good bits mm-hmm. um yeah. it gets it all out there it, it it puts it all out there uh all like uh, like ready to go um the the releases that they have done after this have not pushed that metaplot forward they've more just enhanced and uh further fleshed out sort of the day zero setting um, giving, but giving you more tools that you can weave into this meta plot if you so desire. Yeah. So, uh, final thoughts for today. Um, I, uh, as a whole, I adore this book. I adore the setting. I adore the powers. I adore the meta plot. I adore how they've done it. You know, I have little little problems here and there, but Aeon continues to be my favorite RPG of all time. <laughs> it, it's it's a really cool one. That's a big part of why I wanted to to join this podcast was to spend more time with with uh, Aeon, with Trinity mm-hmm. in general, uh, learn more about the universe. Um, and like this is this is where my passion for Trinity started was the mm-hmm. Aeon uh, Trinity Continuum Aeon book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that setting secrets is done is like chef's kiss. Awesome. Mwah. Yeah, <laughs> to, to the presentation. Um, so next up, we will probably be talking about uh, a further Aeon Trinity book mm-hmm. uh, before diving into the Aberrant Era. Indeed. Uh, we're still working out our schedule, but uh, expect us to go through the length and breadth of everything the Trinity Continuum has. So you'd be advised 
keep your arms around the Trinity continuum.